You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can get to. Uh, you know, the weather, funny weather. You know, I tell you, I'm happy for snow. Um, weather's getting colder, supposed to have some snow. My children have decided there's, I mean, for a lot of you, I feel bad. For a lot of you, you don't have your kids in school yet. But my kids do have school, so they're looking forward to a possible snow day tomorrow. I doubt it. They claim two to four. It probably won't be two to four. It will won't go through the evening and through the night, so they'll plow the streets. But it just means we'll go sledding tomorrow in school, which is always, always great. Anyways, this week's Torah portion, so many things happening, so much going on. We got Jethro, or Yisro, showing up in the middle of the desert. How he even know where to come? All good questions. So let's backtrack just a little intro to let us know what's going on over here with Jethro, where he's coming from. So the Torah portion starts out that Yisro, his Hebrew name is Yisro, you know Jethro, but I'm going to say Yisro. So Yisro, um, it says he heard what happened to the Jewish people and how God protected them, so he shows up. Now, we're in the middle of a desert. It's a little bit, it's not like GPS where you can send out or or voicemail, or your cell phones and emails. Like, there's no, there's no directions. So how do you know where to find the Jewish people? Now, again, it's kind of hard to hide two or three million people traveling through the desert. That's not such an easy thing to do. At the same time, I mean, you still have to have a clue. You can't just walk and bump into three million people. It is a desert. So what happens like this? And also we have a different problem. Um, last time we ran into Tzipporah, Moses' wife, and his two children, they were on the way down to Egypt, and Moses hadn't given a circumcision to, Eli- to uh, Eliezer. And uh, the angel came and swallowed up Moses, and, and Tzipporah understood it was because they hadn't given a uh, circumcision at Bismillah. So... So um, he... Okay, she gives the circumcision, and the angel goes away... And then we don't hear about them. But you would have assumed they made their way into Egypt. And now they show up again that uh, Yisro says, Moses, you don't want to come out for me, come out for your wife, come out for your kids. Like, what, what happened over here? What's, what gives? So what happened was when Moses ran into Aaron, um, or Aaron X came to see Moses on his way in, Aaron says, hey, bro, uh, who, who's the kids? Oh, my two children, meet my wife. So Aaron says, where are they going? Oh, we're all going down to Egypt. And Aaron said, mm, let's hold on for a second there. Bad idea. We're already suffering, millions of people suffering. You can't bring more people in. Send them back. So he sends them back home to 
Yisro, and he says, look, in about a year from now, we're going to be leaving Egypt. You, the world will know when we leave Egypt, the splitting of the Red Sea, the world will hear about it. When you want to come, when you want to come meet us, once we get out, head towards Mount Sinai. That's where we're heading, and that's how Yisro knew to find them. So interesting enough, even though Yisro sends in a message, who you're coming out for, Moses goes out. It says to greet his father-in-law, and what an honor his father-in-law got. You have to imagine, Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's two sons, none of you, they hung out. These are the leaders. Moses gets the message. He says, okay, my father-in-law is here. Let me go, let me go see my father-in-law. He couldn't, you can't get into the, into the clouds. You, got, you need someone to bring in. The clouds are not letting anybody in. So for Yisro to get in, Moses has to go get him. So Moses goes with, with Aaron and his two sons. And, whoa, the elders see Moses and Aaron and Nazim and Aviyu traveling. Hey, they must be going somewhere important. Let's follow. So now you got the 70 elders following. Well, every single Jew that sticks his head out of a tent and sees Moses and Aaron and, the, and Aaron's two sons, Nadav and Aviyu, and the 70 elders, you're going to go. Where, where are they going? Must be somewhere important. So you got millions of people going out to greet Yisro. That is Yisro's introduction to the Jewish people. So there's three parts to this week's Torah portion. Part one is Yisro coming to coming to join the Jewish people, and he's actually going to give Moses fascinating advice about setting up a judiciary system. As there was no judges. There was basically um, anything the Jewish people wanted to know. You can go to the elders, you can go to Aaron or Moses, but that's pretty much it. You have millions of people. Lots of questions. You know, rabbis, chaplains, um, you're busy. People, you can only handle so many people in a congregation because so many people want to come. Advice, law, what should I do? Say hello, I'm lonely. There's so much stuff to keep clergy busy. 72 people for 3 million people is nothing. And Yisro saw this, and he told Moses, you can't do this. It's just impossible. There is no way that, that a handful of people can be the judges for a whole nation. You must set up a system. Now, interesting, is a fascinating question. Um, why did Yisro even imagine that Moses wouldn't think of this? And the truth is, we should ask. Moses needs his father-in-law. I mean, father-in-laws are good. Don't get me wrong. I'm a father-in-law. And uh, I like when my children accept my advice. It's all very beautiful. Um, How could it be that Moses didn't realize on his own to set up some type of court system, lower courts and higher courts, and and I don't want to call them appeals courts because there's no such concept for the most part in Jewish law, as an appeals court. You go in front of the rabbis, the rabbis listen to what you have to say, and they're going to go back, and they're, they're, they must be massively studious people. They must have tremendous amounts of knowledge. And the only thing that can happen that you might consider the concept 
of a higher court is if the lower court says, this question is too hard for us. We need bigger rabbis. They'll move it up to the bigger rabbis. There is no such thing as appealing a decision. It doesn't work that way. There's no juries. There's no mistakes in how the case was presented. That is not how a Jewish court system works. It just doesn't work that way. So if this idea has to be so basic, of and we'll talk more, I hope, um, if this is a basic idea, basic concept that you must have courts, Moses should have thought of this on his own. So how come we need Yisro to come up with this idea? So there's two ideas I saw this weekend. I like them both, and therefore I will tell you both of them. One is the Arachayim, or the Arachayim HaKadosh. So he said like this, God was trying to make a point. God's point was to the world, to the Jewish people, to the world. The Jewish people are special, don't get me wrong. Sorry about this. Headphones are a little uncomfortable here. Okay, we got it fixed. The, uh, the Jewish people are special. Not because we're the smartest in the world. We may be very smart, but we are not the only ones that have intelligent people. There's just no such thing. That's ridiculous. We have spirituality. Spiritually, the Jewish people are the greatest. We have the best ability to be spiritual, and that's why God wanted the Jewish people to be his nation, because they will be able to connect with God spiritually. But intelligence is intelligence everywhere. So therefore, God makes sure that Yisro is the one to come and tell Moses, I have something, I have an idea that you need to implement. Yisro's not even Jewish. not part of the Jewish people. He'll become. But not when he gives the advice. So God says, look, there's intelligent people everywhere. Don't walk around thinking you are the smartest, you are the most intelligent, you are the best. Spiritually, you are the best. That's why you're my people. But again, as far as intelligence goes, the intelligence is intelligent people everywhere, every shape, every form, every color, it doesn't matter. That's one answer why we needed Yisro. Okay, good. Second answer. And that is the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel says, actually, Moses could have come up with this idea on his own. However, since Yisro was coming, and Yisro was a very important person and a special person and a, a famous advisor, and, and he was like the pope for all the idol worship uh, in, in his area. So the Abarbanel says the Torah honors good intentions. Yisro comes to join. He has good intentions. He wants to give advice. Could Moses have figured out on his own without Yisro? Of course he could have. But the Torah is pointing out, Yisro wanted to help. It was important to him. The Torah says, we'll give you credit for it. No problem. Now, it is interesting. Um, So I told you, part one, I told you there's a difference between these judiciary systems. In the Jewish system, everybody has to be familiar with the law. You are not becoming a judge if you don't know the law. Right? That's not as true in in the let's say in the American um, judiciary system. Look, um, hopefully judges once they're you know they're appointed, they've I think you have to be a lawyer first for five years. You have to know some set of uh, law. You don't have to be the expert. Supreme Court is supposed to be experts at least in constitutional law, 
And you'll still have lawyers busy arguing with them in this court case and that court case, and they know this court case, and, 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 and this judge said this, and this judge said that. that you have a lot of. But you also have a concept of what's called um, small claims court. What is small claims court? For those who've never used it, I have. My wife was very good at it. Um, yeah, one of the examples people would call, and they harass you, and, and you say, please put on a call list, and they call you back again. And uh, you can then sue them. But again, small claims court is, you know, you don't want to hire lawyers because you're only entitled to a couple hundred dollars. You're going to go hire lawyers. The lawyers take all your money. So what would be the point? So the government created this thing called small claims court. It's a great idea. Except the judge doesn't have to know all the law. He can do whatever he wants. Because for the most part in small claims, um, the American system says, look, it's a small amount of money. If you had to hire a lawyer, you'd lose all your money anyways. So for a small amount of money, we don't care if you get it right or wrong. That is the American system, and I'm sure in a lot of countries it's very, very similar. In the Jewish system, it doesn't work that way. Again, you have to be well-versed. You're not allowed to just wing it. That's not the way it works. Maybe we'll talk about that momentarily with my few minutes left. You can't just wing it in the Jewish court system. You have to actually be very clear and know the law. You don't know the law, then you can't say what to do. You could say, I don't know this law, go up to, we'll get you some bigger rabbis to discuss this situation. But you don't get to say, it doesn't really matter, it's only a few dollars, who cares? That idea of it's only a few dollars, who cares, is not a Jewish concept. Therefore, when Moses is going ahead... And, and explaining how the court system will be set up, instead of saying small questions to the lower courts, big questions like money, right, a lot of money, goes to the higher courts. That's not what Moses says. Moses says easy questions go to the smaller courts. I don't care if it's for a dollar or a million dollars. If it's an easy question, any of the rabbis can answer. If it's a very hard, complicated question... Again, let it be $5, let it be $500,000. It's irrelevant. A hard question has to move up the chain because it's more important to get it right. And as we don't care about the amount, we, the law must be correct. Again, you, you, you sit generally with three judges. So between the three judges, they're allowed to argue amongst themselves to figure out who's right and who's wrong. After we have the judges arguing, no different than the Supreme Court, then it's up to the vote. Majority wins. So so that, that automatically shows you that the court systems are going to be set up very, very different. Hey, was just something else fascinating. Um, who played around with my papers over here? My papers are mixed up. Okay, we're not going to worry about it. But in any case... Um, it is interesting. So there were really four levels of judges. It says there was a judge for every 10 people. There was a judge for every 50 people, judge for every 100 people, and a judge for every 1,000 people. So generally speaking, we all understand that that means... I lost a piece of paper. Well, I think I remember the story anyways. Um, it, It... 
that means that you have your every 10 people, you'll take, let's say, 23 judges. So they're in charge of 230 people. And then the next 23 judges, the next 230 people, because lower courts are generally 23, higher courts are generally 70. If they don't know the answer, you go up to the court of 50, right, over every 50 people. They don't know over every 100. They don't know over every 1,000. That's fine and dandy. But interesting enough, um, interesting enough, the... Um, the, um, the Vilna Goyen, the Gra, says that's not what the system was. It was actually a brilliant, totally different system. The idea of every 10 and every 50 were the teachers for the Jewish people. Every 10 people, there's a teacher. Every 50 people, there's another level teacher. Courts? For every hundred and every thousand. Because, again, it's hard to imagine. You need so many judges. So, therefore, the Vilna Goyen says... That um, that the way it worked was the first set of judges, what the Torah calls judges, were really the educators, really the teachers, and the second group, over the hundred, over the thousand, those were the judges. So we're talking about money, and we're talking about how how in, the concept of not getting it wrong. So actually, the Chavetz Chaim says we have to be very very careful when it comes to money. We do not make mistakes with money because, the Villanagon says, if you steal money, you don't pay it back, or a judge makes mistakes when it comes to money, then God will take that soul and send it back to this world to fix it up. So the story is told with uh, Meir of Premishlan, I believe. I had the right name, but I lost that piece of paper somehow. It's somewhere. That's okay. I'll find it. Um, in any case... Um, one day he called over, he was a rebbe, he called over one of his chassidim, and he says, uh, you know, if I asked you for something, would you give it to me? Uh, and the chassid said, rebbe, whatever you want, it's yours. Great. You know that black horse you got? I need the black horse. Oh, the black horse? I can't give you the black horse. The black horse is my, that horse does the work of ten horses. Pick any other horse. Don't pick that horse. You sure? Because really, that's the horse I want. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't give you that horse. Okay, no problem. Um, if I asked you for, you know, you, I know you're a businessman. You have a lot of uh, deeds and documents and, and loan documents. If I asked you for one of those documents, could I have it? So the chassid said, no problem. Any document you want. Okay, bring me the file. And he goes to the file looking for a certain one. And he pulls out a document and he says to his chassid, I want this one. The chassid says, the Rebbe is sure he wants that document. That document um, is from somebody who's dead. And the children are refusing to pay. That document is worthless. If you want money, there's so many other documents here with real money. No, I want this document. Okay, if the Rebbe wants this document, here it is. No problem. So the Rebbe says, you're sure, 100%, no backseas, you're going to give me this document. And it's mine to do with as I please. Yes, Rebbe, it is completely yours. Okay, so I now own this document. Um, this loan officially is owed to me. I now make this document null and void. I do not want to be paid. I am, I am uh, allowing the, the loan to go unpaid, but not only unpaid, as if it's paid. In other words, I'm Michael. I, I forgive the, 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 the loan. Oh, and here comes the music ready. Anyways. 30 seconds later, a guy comes in and says, Master, the, the horse died. So the, the, the Rebbe says, see, 
What happened was this was a soul in that horse. That's why he was working so hard to pay off the loan. You wouldn't let the horse pay off the loan by giving it to me. I took the document, and that paid off the loan. But anyways, the music is playing. I hope that gave you a touch of a feeling of how important money is. But in any case, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. You know, I can't do it without our sponsors and listeners. And, of course, we have to thank our production team. We have Kelsey and Alan in the back. I hope I left you with some food for thought. I'm Rabbi Tweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. Special things I comply.